The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure, it's good to be back with everybody. I missed you. I went to some churches, but this one's still my favorite. Will you pray with me as we come before God's word? Father, we're, we're so thankful that you're communicating, God. You've communicated through your word. We get to hear your thoughts for us. Help us to listen. We thank you that um, you don't just send words. You sent the word, your son, uh, the person of who he is, to communicate who you are with us, to bring us to yourself, and you send even today your Holy Spirit to be with us. You want to not just give us ideas in our brains, but you want to transform us uh, by this truth. And so we ask you that you would do that. Please help me as I try to teach this passage. Help me to be faithful and clear, and uh, help us all, myself included, to have open ears, open eyes, open hearts to hear what you would have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to sound like a Sunday school question. It's really kind of a crazy question if you think about it. This is the question. Do you know God? We talk about that like it's um, a casual thing or an obvious thing. I know God, but really, you? Do you know God? Do you know God? Wouldn't you agree that if there's a God, there is nothing more important than knowing him? God. Do you know God? You could get lots of degrees. You could have jobs. You could have all this other stuff. There's nothing compared to knowing God. And wouldn't you agree that if you did know God and he knew you, that would make a difference in your life? Can you know God and not be changed by that somehow? Maybe uh, you're here this morning, you're not sure who God is, you're not sure how to know him. So glad you're here. So glad. Or you might say, yes, I know him. Okay, what does that look like? What does it look like to know God? Some of us, we would give theological facts about God, and we say, well, this is what God is like. He made everything. He sent his son to save us from sin. I agree with that with all my heart, by the way. We could call that theological knowledge, couldn't we? Theological knowledge. Theology, theos, God, ology, study of, knowledge of God, truth about God, theological facts. And if you know me, you know I'm really into theology. My mom actually bought me a shirt. I almost wore it today, but I didn't. It's a t-shirt, and it says theology nerd on it. I kind of took it as a badge of honor, you know. Um, I, love, I love theology. Um, but we're going to see today in this text that theological knowledge is not enough. There's more to knowing God than knowing truth about God. Do you know God? As we get there, I want to think with you about the difference between, this might sound kind of heady, but I hope it'll make sense, about the difference between formal theology and actual theology. Okay, so just to back up, theology is just the knowledge of God. Do you know about God? 
Truth about God, okay? Formal theology would be what you say you believe about God. I believe X, Y, and Z, A, B, C. I believe this, okay? Actual theology would be what you really believe as shown by your passions, your values, and your behavior. Formal theology, actual theology. So um, I've been missing my wife this morning. I haven't seen her in a week, and I have four more days to go. Anybody have a little sympathy groan for me real quick? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But let's, uh, so since I miss her, let's use her as an illustration. So, so we, could, we could ask, do you know Marsha? And what if someone said, yeah, she's tall, blonde hair, loves to wear high heels. <laughs> now, a lot of you are laughing because you're like, that's bad theology, right? That is bad Marsha-ology. She's anything but tall. Many would say short. Beautiful brown hair. Love her hair. And she does not own a pair of high heels. <laughs> okay? So, uh, do you know Marsha? Well, we, I know she's not tall and she has brown hair. Okay? What if we ask that question and you're like her, I don't know how many Facebook friends she has, but maybe, you know, some of us we have in the hundreds, right? Hundreds. I think I have 600 Facebook friends. I don't know who some of these people are. Um, what if you're like the 534th Facebook friend of Marsha? And do you know Marsha? And you can say, oh, yeah, you know, um, I met her in line once. Do you know her? Yeah, and, and the Facebook friend could say, she's short and has brown hair, doesn't own a pair of high heels. Okay? Does that person know her? Does that person's relationship with Marsha affect her life, affect their life, whoever they may be? Okay? What if you ask that question, I ra- do, you know, do you know Marsha? I raise my hand. I know her. That's my baby. That's my wife. That's my girl. And my love for her deeply influences every aspect of my life. I know her. Do you see the difference in that kind of silly illustration between a theological knowledge, a true knowledge? Okay, this, it's essential, right? You can't pretend you know Marcia and think she's tall with blonde hair and wears high heels. That's, you're talking about someone else. Theological knowledge, the factual knowledge is true, it's essential. But then the actual knowledge, okay? The Facebook friend doesn't have the same actual knowledge of Marsha that I do. My Marshaology is very actual, okay? What if you took that illustration and applied it to your knowledge of God? Do you know him? Do you know God? Your theology is essential. You, you can't just... M- Make up some other God, okay? God has definitions about who he is. This is what he is. And you can know that, and you've got to know that. We want to know that, but it's not enough. What about the actual theology? Actual theology. And there's so many ways it's his home. And so many in our church, we're missing people today because they have serious illness today. You know, serious illness. It's one thing to be like, yeah, I'm going to rise from the dead when I die. It's another thing to stand next to the bed and be like, we're going to rise from the Do you feel the difference? One felt kind of formal. One felt really actual. We read the Bible. You know, the psalmist says, God, your word is like, it's better than gold or silver. It's better than gold or silver. And, you know, let's let's all confess our sin. Somebody asks you, how's your Bible reading going? And you're like, well, didn't read it enough. How come? I'm busy. What if somebody offered to pay you $1,000 for every hour you read the Bible? 
Would you find a way? Would you make it happen? You would. It would become actual to you. Okay? Right now, our knowledge of the Bible, many of us in here in this room be like, it's God's word, it's better than gold or silver. I don't read it. Do you see how your formal theology isn't actual? I think every Christian struggles with this. I know I do. I feel it, especially when I preach. I'll preach formal theology and mean it with all my heart, and then I have to ask sometimes, how much of this is in my own life? Can you feel that difference? But this is so important that we think about this, the difference between formal beliefs and actual beliefs, and I think that's what this text is about. Um, If the formal is really true, our formal beliefs about God, it should become also actual and hit us where we live. It should affect our passions every day. Uh, because, especially because, if our knowledge of God is simply formal, it brings destruction and becomes anti-God. Did you hear that? If your knowledge of God is only formal, what do you believe about God? Okay, what do you actually believe? If it's only formal, it actually becomes destructive and anti-God. I think that's what this text is saying. We're continuing our study through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 8 this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing a church that lives in a place where it's very tough to be a Christian. Everything in Corinthian culture, everything that culture believes and states and promotes, pushes these people away from following Jesus. And this church is really struggling with this, aren't they? Aren't they? We've seen week after week their... Their formal theology about God is okay in some places, but their actual theology and how they're treating one another, way different than from what they say they believe. Um, And in this chapter, Paul talks about their knowledge of God. Thirteen verses we're going to look at. Five times he talks about knowledge. It's about their knowledge. And yet he's going to say, you don't know what you know. Your knowledge of God is formal. It's not actual. And because of that, this is, what, this is what is so confronting to me. Again, I love theology. I'm a theology snob, right? I have a t-shirt. Some of you, you love theology. If you have the right theology, but it's just formal and not actual, that knowledge, that theology actually, destro- in this text, it destroys your brother or your sister in Christ in its rebellion against Jesus. So it's almost like saying there's, there's little worse than formal theology that doesn't become actual. And so, you know, Jesus saves us from this, right? Because nobody in here, your, the, your formal theology is the same thing as your actual, right? Of course, of, nobody. But do you want it to be? If I ask you, do you know God, is there a part of you going, Not enough, or I gotta know him more. Maybe you're in a place in your life where the formal has just taken over your life, and Christianity to you is formal buzzwords, and that's it. I think this passage really wants to, to kind of say, wake up, wake up. Of course, for any of us, I'm in the front of this line. I want my actual theology to match up with what I say I believe more closely. We need God's help for that. But three things in this text, okay? We're going to see the Corinthians' example of formal theology. You could call it facts in the head that don't affect the heart, maybe. Number two, we're going to be reminded of this ultimate reality that will help us, hopefully, 
you know, hit your tipping point by the power of the Spirit and push you into actual theology and say, I want this. I want, I want it more. I want to have it real. And then third, we're going to see how actual theology changes how we live towards one another. Does that make sense at this point? If, so we're going to see their example of just, it's just formal. We're going to see this reality that will help us hopefully push to being actual. And then we're going to see how actual theology would change how we view and treat one another. Okay? So first of all, their example of a formal theology. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know all of us possess knowledge. Okay, a few things to see here. First of all, the city of Corinth was full of temples for all sorts of idols. So, and it wasn't just like driving. I was in the south a little bit, right? And you drive 100 yards church. You drive 100 yards church. You drive 100 yards church. Um, but that's not even what this is like because in our culture today, you can drive by a lot of churches, but the Christian worldview is not really the functional view of the world for our culture. Okay, there... Their view of idolatry was in the way they did business. It was in the way they did politics. It was entrenched in every part of their culture to where even if you wanted to go buy a steak, chances are that cow was slaughtered in worship to one of the gods. Okay? So we don't go to Albertsons and we'll be like, oh, Artemis steak. Or, right? it's, it's not what? It's not in our life. It's in their lives. I, idol worship is everywhere for them. Okay. Second thing, the Corinthians have been writing a letter to Paul, and you see these quotes here in verse 1. That's probably something they wrote to him or in response in this conversation. So they're saying, in regards to food offered to idols, hey, we know the truth. We have knowledge. Verse 4, you see a picture of that, that knowledge. Okay, This is what they know. Verse 4, Therefore, as to eating the food offered to idols, we know, what do we know? An idol has no real existence, and that there's no God but one. Okay? Is that true knowledge? Yeah. I don't, I'm not afraid of Artemis, are you? Not a God. Not a God. One God. It's only God I need to fear. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Their theology is good in this moment, on this matter. One God. All right. And yet, look at verse 1. This knowledge, what does it do? It's puffed them up. I love that image, don't you? Puffed up. What is it a picture of? Pride, right? I always remember high school pseudo fights between guys. And, and when they were almost going to fight, what did they do? It's, it's so funny. It's like a puffer fish in the ocean. Okay. What, a, what an amazing illustration for Christians with right theology. Hey, I know there's one God. It's amazing how we can do this, isn't it? Their theology has them prideful. Their true knowledge about God has led them to pride. We have this idol thing figured out. We know. And now perhaps they're looking down on others who don't have the same kind of knowledge that they do. Their formal theology has them knowing God. But, Paul says, your knowledge has puffed you up. What does love do? Love builds up. So my knowledge puffs me up towards you. But if I love you, I want to build you up, not me go up. 
you go up. I want to draw you close to Christ. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I want to walk with you. So it's ironic, isn't it? Your true knowledge of God leads to pride and harming others instead of loving them. That's formal theology versus actual theology. Love builds up. So their prideful, unloving knowledge shows, and this is where Paul says in verse 2, if anyone imagines he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. So if your knowledge of God is leading you to pride and not loving others, maybe you don't know like you think you know. Does that make sense? Maybe there's another way to know, a deeper way to know, and using the terms I'm using this morning, an actual way to know, an actual theology that grips your heart, it grips your mind. So we see here that when your formal theology is not your actual theology, your theology stinks. So let's go ahead and repent. Because you're a smart church. And you know what? Many times your formal theology is your actual theology. If you're new with us, I'm happy to say this church is so loving, so faithful, so generous. Your actual theology hits the ground running all the time. I'm proud of that. Proud of that. Um, The right kind of proud. But... Come on. You got formal theology that's not actual? It stinks. It's terrible. It's fake. So we've got to get what we know about God into our passions. Does God answer prayer? All the formal theology buzzers are going off. Yes. Okay. Do you pray hard? Some of you, yeah. Some of us, not really. But God answers prayer, right? Formal theology. I prayed hard because God tells me to nag him about stuff, to argue with him for stuff. I want his kingdom to come. I want his glory in the earth. I spent time praying about it. I prayed with others. Actual theology. Which one will it be? I want to be more actual, less formal. So the Corinthians, they have this formal knowledge about God in their context. It's not actual. So now let's look at the truth that can hopefully push us into being more actual, less formal. Look at verse 3. It's amazing. If anyone loves God, he is what? Known by God. What What did Paul just do there? He mentions knowledge five times, right, in 13 verses. But then he says, the change of the words is so big. Do you know God? Formal theology, yes. Do you know about God? Yes. Do you love God? Oh, it's a different question. Do you love him? Formal theology, yes. Actual theology, do you love him? Do you love him? If you do, it's because you've been known by God. Isn't that amazing? It's so easy for us to know about God. And it's so different to know that God knows me. He knows you. If you love God, you're known by God. The real knowledge of God is what? It's personal. It's personal. Yes, God reveals himself to us by his word. Yes. It's essential. Yes. Faith makes it personal, trusting it, believing him, 
We love God. I'm reminded of Psalm 73, verse 25. The psalmist is enjoying a moment of actual theology here. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Can, can that come out of your heart? Would it be true? God, I want you more than anything. And we know that if you love God, it's because he's known you. I want you to think about what God has said about uh, some of his servants and his knowing of them. Look at Exodus 33:17. This is what the Lord said to Moses. You have found favor in my sight, and I what? I know you. Now, part of us is like, wait, doesn't God know everything? Sure. Does he know everyone? Yeah. Does he know his people in a unique, covenantal, friendship, grace-filled way? I know you, Moses. Moses didn't go, oh, yeah, you know everything, big deal. You know me too. For him it was, that's why I get to see your glory. Or look at Jeremiah 1.5. God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. I had plans for you. Consecrated you. I set you apart. And this one's great. 2 Timothy 2.19. Paul writes to Timothy, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord, what? Knows who are his. And therefore, let everyone who names the name of the Lord, what? Depart from iniquity. Do you see the connection? If he knows you in this way, you're his. You belong to him. And that's not just a formal theology. That's an actual theology. Because when you're known by God, what are you going to depart from? You're going to say, God, you know me. I want to know you. Change me. Change me. Take my formal beliefs and make them actual. So to be known by God is to be uniquely, undeservedly chosen, loved by God. And it means to belong to him, to be changed by him. Actual knowledge of God is personal. Okay, now back to 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, there are many gods and lords. Okay, what's Paul saying about all the, the claims to be God? Fakers, right? Fakers. They don't deserve your trust, your worship. They had this God and that God in Corinth. I read one commentary that gave you like a list of what they found and I was going to include it, but it was, it was too long. We've never heard of most of them anyway. Lots of gods demanding, calling for their attention. Now, now by the way, what, is it, what does a god do for you? What do you need a god for? Uh, it's really important stuff of the heart, right? You're looking for identity. What you look to to give you that identity, that's your functional god, Ultimately. Okay? You're looking for meaning in life. What's right and wrong? How do I live? Why? The, the Where you get the answer to that, who you're serving, that's your functional God. It may be you. Okay, welcome to your self-idolatry, right? Uh, identity, meaning in life. What about ultimate satisfaction? 
You want to be happy. I do too. You're made to be happy. You long for satisfaction. Where you, the, the place you find that ultimately, that's your functional God. Security. How do you know things are going to be okay in the end? Doesn't it feel like the times are a little scarier in some ways? Both in my neighborhood and in the culture. You going to be okay? How do you know? Where are you, where are you putting your ultimate security? Where you look to for that ultimate security? Functional God. So... The Corinth had a lot of temples to go to and a lot of little statues to worship. Maybe we don't have statues. Do we have claimers at being gods in this culture? Who's offering to satisfy you in this culture? Who tells you where to get truth and how to live in this culture? Where are you looking for for meaning, for security in this culture? If it's not the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit revealed in Scripture, it's a faker. It's not a real God. They're offering stuff. They can't, they can't meet what they're offering you. They can't satisfy you. They can't protect you. They can't give you the truth you need. They can't do it. They're fakers. They're not real. They're not God. They're not worthy of your devotion. What are you giving your devotion to? Your time, your energy. Is it worthy? Here's the one who's worthy. Look at verse 6. This is that ultimate reality. Oh, can we feel it again? Jesus, make us feel it. Yet for us, there is one God. Who? The Father. And look at what it says about him. From whom are all things and for whom we exist. Do you believe that? God made everything. Formal theology. Yeah. But what's it mean? He made this world. He's powerful. He's wise. He's, he made you. He's making your heart beat right now. He's letting you breathe right now. Right now. From whom are all things. You can trust him. He's in charge. He's the maker. He's the source. For whom we exist. Do you exist for God? Formal theology. Uh-huh. Okay. Actual theology. Do you exist for God right now? Today, tomorrow, your work, your studies, your relationships for God? Is he your father? Formal theology. Actual theology. Galatians 4, right? The Holy Spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. You feel love. Have you ever felt love for God as your father? It became actual. Oh my gosh, you've adopted me. You love me. You know me. I'm welcome in your presence through Jesus. Oh, can you see this again? We've been adopted as God's children through Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, we have one Lord, the Lord Jesus, through whom are all things. Amazing picture of Jesus' divinity. Everything is from the Father, and he did it all through the Lord Jesus. Made everything through the Lord Jesus. Through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. We exist through the Lord Jesus, especially as Christians. How did you get adopted? By a holy God. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, came and took on flesh. Was that actual or formal for him? Go save my people, the Father says. Jesus says, actually puts on flesh and suffers for us. He went to the cross. Was that formal for Jesus or actual? He suffered, he bled, he took my sin. He rose for us. 
Is that just a formal thing, or did he really walk out of that hole alive? Actual. He reigns for us. Does Jesus reign for us, interceding right now? Formally, we're like, "Uh uh-huh. Does he really? Actually? Wow. Through him, we're forgiven. We're loved. Through him, we know our God is our Father. The Holy Spirit comes and makes all these things actual by faith. Do you know this one God? I just want to pray for us right now. Um, will you join me? Father, help me to know you, to really know you, to not just know about you. We invite your Holy Spirit to come. Show us Jesus. Help us to know you. Help our formal ideas to hit our hearts. Let us be devoted to you. Show us, God, we need you. Forgive us of, of just turning you into an equation sometimes and being content with that. Grip us in Jesus' name. Last point. Here's what the real knowledge of God will mean for how we relate to others. Verse 7, Paul says, However, not, pos- not all possess this knowledge. Okay, again, what knowledge will the Corinthians say, right? Uh, all the meat is sacrificed to an idol, right? And some of the Corinthians are saying, eh, we know idols aren't real, which means go ahead and eat it. No big deal, right? Okay. But verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. What knowledge? For many in the Corinthian church, idols weren't just a, eh, they're not real. They were a, I used to serve that thing. I gave money to that thing. I gave everything to that thing. And that idol has a real presence in their way of looking at the world. Not all possess this knowledge that that idol isn't a god. But some, Paul says, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So if they see somebody being like, eh, idols aren't real, I'll go and eat the Artemis steak. The person who used to follow Artemis is like, is that okay? Can I follow Artemis and Jesus? Because Artemis, if... You know, it is with idol. If I don't serve her, if I don't give enough money, she'll be angry with me, she'll curse me. If I do the rites, if I do the sacrifices, she'll, she'll help me in my life. That's how polytheism goes. You've got, you got a different God for different needs, and you have to serve that God. If you don't serve them, they'll, they'll be on your back. If you do serve them, they might bless you. It's like an old-school prosperity gospel. Serve the God, the God will help you. Okay? Is Jesus, so, is, so if you, my Christian brother, you're going to go eat the idol meat, does that mean Jesus is just one of the pantheon of God's? I go to Jesus maybe to save me from hell, but I'll go to to Wall Street for my career. I'll go to Jesus to save me from sins, but I'll go to to sex to get the affirmation I need or the pleasure I need. Do you see? The conscience gets defiled. Defiled is a strong word because they don't have this knowledge. Listen, idols still have power in Christians, in the sense that some Christians are still weak when it comes to what they used to serve. Right? And so if I say, hey, that's no big deal, it's not an idol, eh, I'll eat the steak, what have I done for my brother who's weak towards it? Defiled their conscience? Your conscience is like your moral compass, right? It shows you, a good compass shows you true north, you know which way to go. If it's twisted, if it's defiled, you don't know where to go. 
the directions aren't good anymore. We've got a conscience by the Holy Spirit as, as believers. We want to know what it means to please Jesus. And we, this is what Paul is saying, we can influence one another and ruin one another's compass for following Jesus if we're prideful about our knowledge. If we're not sensitive to one another's weaknesses. And it makes it so easy in a way for Corinth, right? Because they actually worship statues and I'm afraid of this idol. It's a little more theoretical for us. But aren't you and I, aren't you, don't you still have weaknesses for certain kind of idols? Where do you get your identity? What have you done or experienced? Do you have soft spots? Places that hurt? Where a Christian needs to protect you and build you up rather than just kind of run roughshod over it because they know the truth? We need to be sensitive towards this. Many Christians are still tempted with the old idolatry that used to know them. So look what Paul says in verse 8. Listen, food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Right? There's no salvation by steak eating. Okay? It's not the biggest thing, right? You eat the meat. Okay? It, it's not all about food. Where could you throw, what could you throw into this kind of category for us? This kind of area of grayness, right? Some Christian could, could maybe eat the food and be like, idols aren't real, I just wanted a steak. And other Christians are like, you're serving another God. It's hard to apply, isn't it? What about sports? I love sports. Are sports good or bad? They're good. At least I think so. Paul likes sports. Read the New Testament. He's talking about races and stuff. Okay? Is it possible to overserve sports? Good God in heaven. Oh, they got a game. So, pause everything important in life. I love sports. I play sports. Can you overserve sports to where you're not serving Jesus anymore? You're serving sports. What happened? And if somebody has an influence that way, what, do you, what kind of influence are you going to be in their life? Here's another thing. We, we don't talk about it. I'm going to talk about it right now. Way too many Christians look at porn. Look at porn. It's a, it's a denial of God's, the way God made sexuality, denies other people, but we know that. We're all, we're all guilty about it. What I want to think of here is you go to a movie together, okay? For some of you, it's a movie, right? Good or bad? Movies? You like movies? I like movies, okay? What kind of scene does that movie have in it? One of you could be like, oh, I see this scene. It doesn't... I'm not going to give you like a legalistic, you got to go to a G or a PG-13. I'm not doing that. It's way more complicated than that. But if you go with your friend who struggles with porn and there's a sex scene in it, what did you do? Oh, it's okay to look at this. You wrecked his conscience. We could go on, even just, you could, what could you not apply here, right? The, the old one, that's con, it's not really controversial for us, at least I don't think of alcohol, right? Some, some, some Christians say you can't serve God and drink alcohol. I would disagree with that. But what if they really believe that? Are you going to insist on drinking your beer with them? 
uh, fill in the blank, right? I have a list. I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of them. But we each have weaknesses where we're drawn. Remember that, that song, Come Thou Fount? We have that verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We've got weaknesses. We've got cracks where we're drawn away from following Christ. And Paul is here is trying to get us to think about our brother and sister in this regard. And you may be free in that somehow. But if you just march on through it because you've got knowledge, you can wreck the conscience of your brother or sister. Do you see what he's saying? Look how strong the language is in verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is what? Destroyed. Destroyed. For Paul, that's a word that means they're, it's towards abandoning the faith. It's very strong. It's very strong. That would be the last thing we want to do. And I'm scared of all these implications. I'm scared. What about our kids, right? It's so easy for families to be like, formal knowledge of God, actual knowledge. What do, what do I teach them in the afternoons? What do I teach them about the Lord all the time? Am I telling them that Jesus is everything or that he's just a, a once a week thing? Apply it everywhere, guys. Formal knowledge of God can wreck our brother or sister. So by your knowledge, a weak person is destroyed. And then look, how, well, look what Paul throws us in on the, on the end of verse 11. The brother for whom Christ died. What's he saying with that phrase? How does Jesus feel about this brother or sister? Gosh, they're precious. He bled for them. And so what's the application? If you knew what you say you knew, you would think of them like he does. You'd care about their walk with him like he does. You'd be sensitive to that. It wouldn't be about your rights and what you can or can't do. It would be about what's best for the people I'm with and what helps them follow Christ. Verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. I've done this. I have sinned against Christ in this way. I'm guilty. I've done this. I've not valued people the way... He does. I have let formal theology just send me marching along and not made it actual. And isn't it ironic? Their formal theology, hey, the idols aren't real. There's one God. It's true. It's true. And with that knowledge, they sinned against Christ. You can know the Bible and sin against Christ with it. Because the formal hasn't become actual. Because if you want to serve and please God with everything you are, that's going to turn into wanting to protect and bless your brother or sister. Right? So Paul finishes with verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, what? I'll never eat meat again if it makes my brother stumble. I don't care that much about it. Does he have the right to eat meat? Sure he does. Next chapter is, is really a continuation of this conversation. He's going to show us he's given up his rights for the betterment of others. He wants us to follow his example. But you see, what's his heart in it? What's his attitude? It goes like this. For one thing about Paul is his, his theology was not formal. 
It was very actual. He's got the scars to show it. He knows this one God, and he loves this one God through Jesus Christ. All things are through him. All things are for him. That's what he lives for, right? He's our example in that way. So passionate about it. He knows that Jesus came to save him from his sins. Paul's got a list of sins, right? Big one. And he's so moved by God's grace that Jesus would, I mean, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I killed Christians. He's so moved by Jesus' love for him. This is, not, this is not formal for Paul. This is actual. I'm so moved by Jesus' grace. And, and I don't, Paul never forgot what Jesus said to him, right? He was on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians. And, and, and Jesus shows up. Paul says, who are you, Lord? Paul, and Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why do you persecute me? Paul's like, I wasn't going to persecute you. I was going to persecute Christians. Jesus says, uh-huh, that's me. So do you see what happens? If you value Jesus and what he's done for you, almost like a boomerang effect, who else are you going to value? His people. So if you want to follow Jesus, because your theology is actual, I want to follow you then you're really going to want others to follow him, especially your brothers and sisters. And you'll sacrifice your own rights to build that up in them. I tried to put this in a line. Let's know God actually. Press on to know him actually. Knowing the true God who's known us through Jesus. And live out our real knowledge of him by sacrificing our rights to build up others in Jesus. Is that what this text is saying? It's too long of a sentence, wasn't it? I want to know God actually, don't you? So let's know the true God who's known us first through Jesus and live out our real knowledge of God by sacrificing our rights to build up others in Christ. That's what this is about. Two applications. Number one, let's check our hearts. Do you know God? Do you know him? Have you been wandering? Was your theology only formal? Are there things you believe that haven't hit your heart? What do we do when that's true? For some of us, maybe that's true in a huge way. For some of us, maybe it's true in a smaller way. What do we do when that's true? I only have one answer to all these questions. Go to the gospel. Jesus did it right for you. He was never formal, always actual. He always lived what he believed. He died on the cross for our fakeitude. And if we go confessing and saying, God, I've been fake, forgive me, he forgives you. He forgives you. And he promises the Holy Spirit who makes it real. The Spirit is the one who makes it real, changes our hearts. So let's go to Jesus. Let's seek him. Let's ask him to burn in our hearts again that what we believe would be in our blood. Two, consider how you're influencing others. Are you building up people towards Jesus in the details of how you live? Where are we part of the flow, coasting them away? You know, all the world we live in is a flow away from Jesus. Christians have to swim upstream. We can't just float. Who are we tying on with and moving upstream with? Think of your friends. Think of your family. Think of your Kids, think of your church members. Consider how you're influencing others. 
But let's press on to know God, actually. Actually, um, after the service, I'm going to be right here by the communion table. I want to pray about this with you. I'm not going to be, I'll pray for you, but mostly I don't want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. If you want to pray with me, that just our theology would be more actual. Just have a little teeny prayer meeting by the communion table after the service. But let's make it real, folks, and let's protect our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, just thank you for this word, for your kindness, always kind, always gracious, welcoming us back. Lord, I pray for myself first and for our entire community that our theology would ring with actual power, that we'd believe it all the way down. We confess the times we've been fake, distant, and we just pray that you would draw us near, that we would seek you hard, and that we would burn with the knowledge that we know you, we know you in Christ, and that we would have this deep desire to build up and bless our brothers and sisters. So we thank you for the gospel, we thank you for its truth, for your grace. You forgive us, you adopt us, you bring us in, we're loved. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.